This is the We Spin Recipes podcast with Andrew Apanov. Hello everyone, Andrew Apanov here with a new edition of the We Spin Recipes podcast. Today on this show I'm going to introduce you a new up-and-coming streaming platform. And before you start questioning why we need another streaming platform, I want you to take a look into exactly what we have here as uh, it's a fairly unique and innovative concept and it's something that hasn't been done uh, before even for the market of streaming platforms uh, is quite saturated. Uh, This is going to be a cooperatively owned music streaming platform. The name of the company is Resonate and today we've got a conversation with Peter Harris who is the founder of the platform. As you will hear from Peter himself, the the concept here is uh, once again very different from uh, what uh, the market has to offer right now. Uh, This platform is based on the blockchain technology. Uh, uh, There are are no monthly fees. Uh, There is um, a new kind of uh, a payment model, which is uh, called stream to own. If you stream a song uh, just a few times, you pay very little. But if you are obsessed with a piece of music and uh, stream it uh, numerous times, then you eventually acquire the, uh, the the song, so you get the mp3 or, or an uncompressed audio file of the work, so you actually own the piece like if you buy it on a digital music store. Uh, there is a lot of other interesting things going on. Uh, I highly recommend you listening to the show in full. We uh, cover some interesting topics like how blockchain works and so on. So uh, you may get a lot out of this uh, interview. And um, there are interesting links in the show notes as well. So you can find out more if you're just a music uh, listener, a casual listener who wants to a new kind of a service, a more flexible payment model and a way to support the artist. If you're an indie artist, this is just like, it's just mind-blowing because as an indie musician with uh, a small loyal fan base, you could be earning significant amounts of money um, uh, through streaming with this kind of a system. And if you are an indie label, uh, there is a lot of uh, benefits for you as well and ways to participate. Um, The platform is currently preparing for a crowdfunding campaign. Maybe you're listening to the show when it's on already. Uh, So yeah, find out more details at resonate.ease. And um, Yeah, here we go, a conversation with Peter Harris, the founder of the platform. I hope you find it useful. Let us know in the comments on SoundCloud and iTunes. Hello and welcome to the Whispin Recipes podcast. It's uh, very cool to have uh, this call with you. We had um, a brief chat at Music Tech Fest event in Berlin and I'm I'm very glad to, yeah, about meeting you there. So... Yeah, usually I start with asking a guest to introduce themselves. But do you mind uh, if I I actually ask you about Music Tech Fest first, real quick? Like, how did it go? And um, I had to leave before the ends of of the fest. So what what are your thoughts overall? And maybe if you, yeah, if you comment some 
how the blockchain thing went? Yeah, so the this was my first time experiencing it and I wasn't really sure what it was going to be like because it's such a strange sort of hybrid concept of, you know, it's not about performances, but there's also the performances, you know, it's it's about technology and there's hack labs and there's lots of things going on and, and startups and stuff. And so I wasn't really sure what to, to think, but it was just amazing. And I really feel like I'm now part of the Tech Best family and really, really yeah. happy to have participated in it in spite of some of the tremendous challenges that we faced, mostly with the location, which, you know, that's a story that you can hear from from Andrew Tucker, the director of the festival. I won't repeat too much of it, but uh, there was definitely a lot of challenges going on there that made uh, the experience rather difficult on a logistical level. So I got to experience that being part of the crew, sort of. But uh, yeah, just an amazing uh, event. And I can't wait for the next one. Yeah, yeah, indeed, it was it was something very unusual in a way because there is yeah, it's it's difficult to even think of uh, any other event doing a similar kind of thing. But you headed the blockchain research. What what was the proper name for uh, for the for the team for the blockchain research? Uh, it was just it was just a blockchain creative laboratory. It wasn't you know a typical sort of hackathon that, that you might find around technology and our internet technology. It was more about dialogue and conversation and strategies. And we brought in a lot of very smart people from across the industry. We had people from digital service providers, some startups, uh, quite a few blockchain developers, people that work in uh, other internet technologies and stuff, people from all over the industry and in all different capacities. And so we had some very very intense discussions for a week around this topic, which has gotten a lot of buzz and a lot of hype. Certainly the blockchain is a lot of hype. You know, people hear little bits of fragments of things and don't necessarily know too many details about how it works. And so, you know, it, it gets very complicated for people that, that maybe don't understand anything more than maybe editing a WordPress site. So, and then when you try to mash that up against the utter total complexity of the modern music industry, it, it does get to be quite a bit of a mess. So that's, so that's what our challenge was, was trying to sort out. Yeah. How could something really work? How could you actually bring something into being? I think we may want to cover some of the related things. And this is overall like the feeling that I get. It's such a, uh, such a revolutionary and massive, innovative technology that can really change the music industry potentially, but it really needs uh, support of artists and public and uh, like different players in the business. But because the blockchain technology is so confusing and complex to kind of outsiders, and because the music industry is so complex, it's so difficult uh, for many to even <laughs> understand what's going on there in order to to be willing to support the projects uh, fully because like how can you stand for something you don't properly understand and uh, so things like what you are doing there definitely help with um, 
with like coming with coming up with some solutions and with educating and even the blog post that you've been writing on 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 the website by the way this kind of uh, stuff really helps like explaining how it works how exactly it can be applied to the music business in plain english it just it's it's super important so at this point sell us a little bit on on your backgrounds and the projects you've been involved in yourself okay so through my 20s and the 90s i was kind of skipping around through pretty much every art form there was because i i've just been curious about everything and that was through fine arts uh, filmmaking and music those are the the main three and music was kind of always the thread experimented with bands uh, i did the singer songwriter thing for a while and then it was the late 90s started getting into electronica um, which was a really big shift because i've been so much more into rock and roll i was you know totally into the grunge seattle grunge scene and, and uh like 60s rock and roll before that so electronica was a big shift for me sort of around 98 and at that same time i started becoming a web developer and got a full-time job in 99. And I was living in Los Angeles at the time, and it just so happened that I got a job at a company that had a lot of music clients. So started building a lot of websites for a wide range of people in the, in, in the industry. And it was full spectrum. You'd have some major platinum selling artists on the one, and then some total unknowns on the other. And this was during the age at which Napster started to blow up, you know, became the, this massive phenomenon. And then we saw the retaliation from the record industry. And so it was the common question pretty much every day. It was the question of what's next for the music industry was a point of conversation. Mm-hmm. It was just always on our, on our, on our lips because yeah. we have clients that were asking us to just say, well, okay, we, we see this, this Napster thing's changed everything. What are we going to do next? And the, you know, the recording industry was just reacting by digging a hole in the ground, stepping into it, and then pouring concrete on their feet. And so a lot of these artists were looking at us for answers, and we didn't have them. I mean, we, we saw the future. We saw where, what it was where it was going, it was still too early at that point. I mean, this is this is just barely as broadband started to become more common in the United States right around 2000, 2001. So, yeah, so the, that was always the question of where is the music industry going to go in the digital age? And then as I was producing electronica at night using Reason and then Ableton, I would upload all my stuff into all the various services that came and went. And so I was getting to experiment with that side of it as an artist, trying to, you know, grow a fan base and distribute digitally, you know, doing this, the one-to-one thing. And so this was like the obsessive question of my career for 15 years. And I always felt like something's missing. And that kind of took the form of two things, which is what came to be Resonate. And the one side of it was the cooperative ownership. That one of the fundamental problems with all the existing services was that they don't really involve music musicians in the process. You know, if you've got a problem with SoundCloud, you can submit a complaint, but you have no control. You have no decision making. 
Yeah. If you, you know, and it's true of every, every service because they're not designed that way. And so doing the cooperative model, I thought, could give us a possibility of having some real opportunities for musicians to be involved in deciding how the system works that they're using. Mm-hmm. And then the other aspect of it was the, the listening model. And, and there's something that I kind of felt was always wasn't present in the way that all these digital services came up was how do you move from being a casual listener to a dedicated fan? You know, this process is usually quite clumsy in, with uh, most of the online services. And so we tried to come up with a new model that kind of speaks to that. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, it's, uh, I mean, it's, it was a good um, intro and, uh, and kind of an explanation. And I do have some specific question because remember that like you are, like you've built this, you're building this thing and it's kind of, I have an understanding of what you are doing. But to some of our listeners, it all may sound just plainly odd and just not specific <laughs> while you have very specific propositions and solutions to the problems which you just outlined. So before I, I get to some uh, questions on the model, I'm just holding this uh, fly you gave me at Berlin and the tagline. I'm not sure if I think it was it was on the website somewhere, but I see it in, in, in the print form specifically, ready to play again. So can you elaborate just even briefly what the <laughs> what the idea was behind behind that? So as play again as in a new solution for the industry or, or some, some other meaning um, I could have missed? What meaning would you like to put into it? <laughs> so it's, it's your uh, living it to interpretation, to any, any kind of interpretation. Yeah, because the, I mean, part of, part of this came about because I, I tend to be very literal with the way I describe things and talk about stuff. And I guess that's probably why I'm the one that came up with the cooperative idea and looking at the business structure and kind of the practicalities. But Sometimes I'm a little bit too, this is what it is. This is an apple and it is red, you know, but actually it doesn't inspire people all the time. So one of our marketing people said, you know, we were just bouncing ideas back and forth. And uh, okay, cool, cool. Yeah, I so that's you. kind of where it came out. But it does actually speak to stirring the imagination and asking, well, how do you want to play online? How do you want to play offline? You know, what kind of world do you want to have? as a musician or as a listener. And, yeah, so. yeah. and, and I, this may just sound like hyperbole or you know, saturation, but this is our goal. Our goal is to try to build a new infrastructure in a lot of ways to allow creative play to take place online. Makes sense, makes sense, yeah. And what you're doing here, once again, is really different from what we've seen so far. So how, like... If you really have to explain uh, what the platform is going to be very quickly, so would you describe it as a streaming platform? Yeah, I would say the, the real short description is imagine that Spotify was a cooperative so that musicians and the fans and the people that build it all got to participate in deciding how it works and got to participate in sharing their profits. Mm-hmm. Literal ownership. Yeah. But add into that and an open source architecture that allows for a whole lot of collaborative innovation to take place. And the short version of that is kind of, you could say, an app store, but it's, it's even a bit bigger than that. Simplistically, to say an app store means that 
we're open to collaborating with anyone that's providing music-related apps, and that can be anything from stuff that fans would play with, like remix apps, or it could be stuff that's really directly targeted towards artists and helping them grow their careers. Or it could be stuff that's real B2B. It's about the industry collaborating, working together. And so it's by having this open architecture being open source, we're creating some, we're opening the doors so that anyone can participate in the community. So do do you have any approximate like launch dates and any idea on, on when we can see life or it's still too early to ask? Yeah, so we're We're building up some key infrastructure stuff for a crowdfunding campaign, which is going to happen in September. And then we'll, we'll definitely have an MVP launched by the end of the year. This bigger project of, that I'm talking about in terms of this more collaborative infrastructure stuff, that'll probably come next year. We'll get some basic version of that going, but it's going to be a lot more complex as we go down the road. And those are things like If you're a booking agent and you want to find out, you know, who's got a heavy listening preference in this particular region, or maybe say you need to find a supporting act for your artist on a specific tour through a specific region, you know, things like that, that's going to take a bit longer to build in the, that kind of data stuff. And then it's just one example of the more advanced stuff that will come later on. But it's going to just, you know, in, in the short term, we'll start off as a streaming app lots of music yeah okay that sounds sounds good sounds uh, clear can you explain in a nutshell the stream to own model which i am i'm really excited about and by the way i'm linking to this article and to the others you've got on the website in the show notes so anyone listening to us can just go there cool. and read the whole the whole thing but can you tease it a little bit yeah sure the basic idea of stream to own is that It starts off cheap and the price builds as you gain interest in the artists and you want to get closer to ownership. So how this kind of came about for me was that I was listening to Spotify and I was kind of just obsessing over a couple of albums and I realized that I was renting the albums and wasn't getting any closer to owning them. I would have to go out and buy the CD and sort of pay twice for it. And then I realized that this is really even more stupid than that because the artist is getting pennies for me to keep playing the album over and over again, but I want to own it because I want them to have something because this music means so much to me. Yeah. And that's, that's where the idea came about. And so how it works really specifically is it starts off at 0.002 cents and then it does something interesting on the second play, it goes to 0.004 and then 0.008. And so if you're noticing a pattern, It's doubling until you reach nine plays. And at the ninth stream, you've paid for it completely. And so if you are just interested in kind of putting on some background music, you're not really like looking for anything specific, you can stream something like a thousand songs for a couple of dollars. But if you hear a couple of tracks in there that you become really in love with, And you you know you put them on your favorites. You you'll pay a little bit more as you as you become more of a fan. And at any point, if you want to you know, dump it out so that it doesn't go into repeat plays, so you're not paying for it again, that's that's easy. We're going to build a lot of controls that'll make that part easy. So you're not really like having to watch like your your bank balance or whatever. But the uh, the big advantage of well, there's a number of advantages for the artists. The big advantage is that 
that allows us to count every single play and pay for it. One of the huge controversies about the monthly subscription models from the other streaming services is that they're not paying one-to-one. Yeah. They have to reconcile wildly different listening patterns, usages across genres and you know people that listen a half hour a day and some that listen for eight hours a day. And when they do those calculations, what ends up happening is that the more popular artists get a larger percentage of the money. And yeah. so indie artists lose. If, you've got, if you're an indie artist and you've got your money on there, no matter how many plays you've got, the majority is going to the bigger artists, mm-hmm. majority of the funds. So having this stream-to-own model allows us to really count every single play and pay for it. And so it's total one-to-one fair counting. Our indie musicians, uh, listeners, should get really excited about that as uh, if you are in niche genre or just have a small but very loyal audience, it can mean that uh, this model would allow an artist to be supported but by just their fan base even because I can imagine that uh, a top 40 popular song is being played by one user just randomly, occasionally here and there, maybe a few streams, who knows. I don't have any specific data at hand for to prove this, but when there is a, a niche kind of indie artist with a loyal fan base who may be listening to their songs for just hours on loop, then, and, and who want to own the music, as, as you just mentioned, it just, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. By the way, so the when you say that a listener owns the music after nine streams, it means that they own the actual MP3? Yeah, and they would be able to download a different file format if they want FLAC or OPG oh, or whatever. That's, that's cool. They have a lot of flexibility around that. And, you know, not everybody's concerned about whether they can move the song out of the player and go from one device to another. It's just about access to them. And so as much as it's streamed on, you could say it's streamed to support. And it's about moving from just being casually interested in something to really becoming a true fan and realizing because there's a certain point once you've heard a song like three to six times you have a bond you know you feel a connection to the artist and there's an understanding that if you're going to get more from them you probably need to give them something so that they can make more music (laughs) that's really just you know it's just kind of that simple and so this is why i think that this model is is the best for the internet because there hasn't been anything that that has mimics that process that we had before the internet, which was that you hear something a couple of times and then it gets under your skin and then you're like, I need to have that. And the big problem with the music industry in the nineties was that they were because they were, you know, gouging consumers with eighteen dollars CDs, they would just stick a couple of good songs. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so it's kind uh, of sidetracked on some other thoughts about that, but yeah, 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 but. It, 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 yeah it, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and I'm just like <laughs> sort of interrupting you, but I just realized how much I would love this feature being a DJ. I mean, I haven't played in actually a couple of years now, but I have a background in spinning vinyl and later on in the freeze. But that is that if you listen to lots of new music in your music genre, like electronic music genre, 
and you just go through lots of uh, tracks and uh, if you just like particular tracks you will naturally listen to them more and after like a week of such a just session of listening to tracks i can just look into what songs i own and i know that it's something that i would play (laughs) because i mean if i played them a lot enough then I definitely have them as separate files and this is exactly what I need to, you know, to be able to play them somewhere. I don't want them in the streaming service. I want the files because I just, I need them for whatever software I'm going to use. So it's pretty cool. I think that in electronic music worlds, it could be appreciated. Yeah. A bit random, but yeah. So how about the the big music industry? It's all cool. It sounds great. I'm a big supporter of the idea and yeah, like I really am excited but what about the challenges that you face like I don't it doesn't seem like that the quote-unquote big music industry and the major players are as supportive of the idea as we are well I, at the moment I don't really care what the major labels think and I'm not pursuing talking with them I, my only interest is in going after the independent industry and that's a pretty big chunk it's 35 percent um, the indie sector is actually, you know, in, in accumulation, it's, it's bigger than any of the other three major labels. So it's a really huge chunk. There's a lot of amazing stuff there. And yeah, we're, we're not going to appeal to a Rihanna audience or, or a Kanye audience or Bieber audience um, to start. And that's fine. It doesn't matter. There's enough on offer from the independent sector to to build a, a sustainable service. And so we've got some strategies that I think we'll be able to, to do that, to be able to attract the, the entire Indian industry. And then we're in a kind of interesting position because that take that process takes a couple of years. By that point, the blockchain question is going to be pretty mature. And I think that we're, you know, we're going to be looking at a very different landscape at that point. And we may be in a position to challenge and the challenge the artists that are on major label contracts to renegotiate and work with us direct because it's a different world at that point. And I think that the changes that are coming as, as part of the blockchain are going to be quite tremendous in terms of how it shakes up and reconfigures this the industry. It's gonna be a very, very dramatic and exciting couple of years it's just getting started and uh, there's, there's a lot of interesting stuff on the horizon i was about to ask you about blockchain after all and so you can uh, go into some details like in the basics of the whole concept and the current status of it and so on but i i just I'm not sure if it's a good idea for the podcast because uh, it may take us 10 hours and it won't, won't be enough. Oh, not uh, necessarily. I can but, explain um, if, you, if you have, because I think you get asked about this quite a lot. And um, by the way, a note to a listener, we have one uh, podcast episode uh, covering the blockchain technology and I'm linking to it in the show notes. It's uh, kind of brief, but still it's a bit of an, like, an additional resource here. So if a lot of people ask you about this stuff and if you have a pre, like a ready answer to explain mm. this, then can you? Yeah, yeah, I can explain it actually on a, on a simplistic level very quickly. And that's, most people get the idea of a web server or website because, you know, everyone's got one in some capacity whether they're just running a blog or something or a website. So 
websites, you know, 99.9% of everything that you see on, on the web is coming out of a database and it's, that database is on a computer in a room somewhere and it's, it's very specific. You know, it's a specific database and a specific computer in a specific room in a specific city. The cloud is that same thing, but they move the data around into different cities so that it's closer to you when you're trying to, to access it. So it's a little bit faster, but it's the same model. It's really not anything different. Blockchain, on the other hand, is completely fundamentally different. It's about the database being shared everywhere all at once. And that's why it's so powerful, because you get the opportunity to create something like a currency, Bitcoin, and Bitcoin functions without a central bank because that the database that is Bitcoin is distributed across the network and the entire, the entire span of all of its users. When you think about bank transactions and using a card in some capacity, you know, you swipe a card at the store, the request goes off to that bank, bank says, yes, he's got the money, and I will transfer that, fund, that amount to another bank, and then you can give him the stuff that he wants to walk out of the store with. And we all get this because we do it every day. That money exchange is going through central authorities. But with Bitcoin, it's built into the technology itself. It's built into a distributed ledger database. And that database is shared across the whole system. Now, usually when you describe this, people think, well, how is it safe if everybody's got all the data? And that's where it gets really super complicated. And we won't bother talking about it, but it's based on cryptography and it just works. So... The big problem with one of the many big problems with the industry is that we have, you know, an artist creates a piece of music and it gets used in lots of different capacities. It gets put on streaming services or it's downloaded or maybe it's put into a commercial or a film. It maybe it's played in a venue in a DJ set or it's in a cafe. It just goes on and on. It gets used in lots of different capacities. And because of the way the industry built up, the money gets, that gets moved and the data gets moved around those plays happens in very different ways and through very different societies and collection agencies and all this and companies. And the big problem with this is that everybody's operating with separate databases. So you might have a single piece of music, say like a track off of Miles Davis' Kind of Blue, just as a random example. And the databases, these different databases may say different things about who performed on the track, who the producers and engineers are, and who owns the rights and how do the rights get split up? Who owns the publishing? How does the publishing get split up? And because we've got all these different databases, it slows everything down. So you could have an artist that records a song for somebody or writes a song that is recorded by someone else, and they don't get paid for years um, after the money's been exchanged at the point of source. And it's because these systems are just so out of date and they're, they're just not compatible. So that's that's really the big benefit of building a blockchain system is that you could end up creating not necessarily just one central database. There will probably be many, but the fact that they're distributed across networks means that they can be accessed instantaneously and you can have you can hook them up to each other. So you can have you can have lots of different blockchain databases. You know, Sony Music has theirs and Warner's has another one, but as long as they allow access, that data can be moved around much faster instantaneously because it becomes standardized in the, in the formatting. It sounds great. And it sounds like something that just needs to be implemented 
right in. I think this is the kind of reaction that many people get when they hear about it. Can you mention just a couple of issues facing the 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 whole technology and the idea and uh something from the music tech fest maybe so why exactly it doesn't work out right away so some of the big big challenges that come about is around identity so you know you create a password on facebook to log into facebook and if you forget your password or your computer's hacked or whatever there's processes that go through to get your account back But with blockchains, it becomes different challenge, a fundamentally different challenge. You know, in the Bitcoin model, if you lose your Bitcoin wallet, you lose your money and you will never, ever get it back. There are large chunks of Bitcoin that have disappeared because someone lost their key and so they, it can't be accessed again and it just sits there and it will never be used as a currency because someone lost access to it. And so... These are this identity and access become some of the most fundamental issues and uh, really, really complex because you're talking about the possibility of losing ownership and authorship of a particular work, and then also the possibility that the money gets sent somewhere else. So these are the biggest challenges, and we, we came up with some creative ideas during our session. And uh, the others are discussing different ways of doing this. And I think this is going to be the big, big challenge that will come. And, and there will be lots of people in the space that will innovate it in different ways. So there will be more than one solution. But I think where it will start is by just you know creating content databases of saying, this is what it is. This is who wrote it. This is who performed on it. The next stage of that will be putting in the rights of saying that 35% goes to the Uh, singer-guitarist, 20% goes to the drummer, et cetera, et cetera. You know, a couple points to the producers. That'll be like a, kind of the next stage, which is the, the, the rights and licensing part where you can start, you know, put automated smart contracts that say that if it goes into a commercial in France, it's $20,000. If it's a commercial in the United States, it's $50,000. But you have to drop the vocal from the mix if you want to play it in you know, this context or whatever these more complex contracts will, will eventually come about. So you have some incredibly powerful, fine-tuned arrangements for, for producers. And that'll evolve too. But the, the big, big challenge will be how do we sort out identity and how do we make it so that what is normally a fixed register, you know, something, because that's the thing about uh, the blockchain, you can't go back and change something. You know, you've probably, your site's probably WordPress, right? Some of, some of them. So, so you've got a WordPress site, yeah. You know, you log into WordPress and you make a change and that's tracked through a revision so you can see that, oh, someone made a change and revert back to the previous yeah, draft. Yeah. You know, you get that idea. But if you log into the database through phpMyAdmin and actually go in at the database, you could change content in that database and no one would ever know. There'd be no record of it. You could just erase history. But you can't do that with blockchain. And that's, that's why Bitcoin works as a currency is because it's fixed. You know, As soon as it's written into the chain, it's always there forever. It's the same thing with the music blockchain. If you write and say that George Harrison actually wrote Strawberry Fields Forever and it goes into the blockchain, you need a, you need a different process that's not normal to the, the way the blockchains usually function. So it gets to be quite complicated. 
is, is it is it uh, correct anyhow to compare it like just i'm just trying to come up with some examples so it's a bit easier to grasp with uh, how wikipedia works not really because well yeah actually there, that might be kind of the hybrid concept it doesn't work technically the same yeah yeah um, i mean just in terms of like the revision always being there yeah yeah so that's that's probably what's going to happen is that we're going to have some process where you'd be able to see the revision history of what was what was written and it gets it gets super complicated if you you know if you're a musician and you go in and, and you do a session somebody brings you in your guitar player and you, you lay down a track and they told you what chords to play and you you know it's kind of work for hire you know, you deserve credit. And in certain countries, you're supposed to get paid. Even though you got paid for the session, you're supposed to get paid later on. So this is a perfect example. You know, the producer, you know, maybe you get into a fight with the producer and they, they leave you off the credits. Yeah. <laughs> you need a process to go back and say, no, that was me and I can prove it. Here's the proof. And so put me back into the credits. And right, right. Give me my percentage. Lot, lots of room for abuse of the system yeah. so far because of the complexity of the industry. But ultimately, we'll be able to sort it out. We'll be able to build processes that will make that, that will make it work. It's just that part of it's going to take time. What about all the, like, uh, all the existing music out there? So is it considered to bring the like, catalogs of everything into blockchain? Like how, I mean, in the long run? Is it, will, it-, it will happen in the long run, but it's, I, I don't think it's really the kind of goal that a lot of people in the space are thinking about because it does it, it is a big mess because there's so much dispute over rights exactly yeah yeah okay it it's you know it's very interesting i hope that our listener who's uh new to the topic got curious at least to discover more and uh, you know i've got a bunch of interesting links to uh to share it and to add to the uh, show notes and i will probably discuss with you via email later and if you can give me a recommendation of like a few articles that we can add to the show notes as well where people can uh, read more besides everything that you've written on resonate that is of course uh, so it i think we just need to allow our listeners to explore and find out more online because this topic requires some additional research and it's quite interesting it's important it's something that will affect everyone in the industry in the long run so it's it makes a lot of sense to start looking into this early on so we'll we'll do that if you if you agree link to a few resources and uh, just to kind of wrap it up can we get back to resonate and just a few words on what people can do right now and uh, what's what's the call to action so right now is just about education do do offer to like uh, to sign up for like artists and listeners what about the crowdfunding platform so what people can do right now yeah right now sign up so if you're an artist and you're into the idea create a profile it'll take a couple minutes and show your support for the projects or that you want to be interested in. Um, there's lots of opportunities if you'd like to volunteer, help out with the crowd campaign, just simple stuff like sharing some, some images and articles on Facebook and Twitter and all that to spread the word and, and then uh, get excited about the crowdfunding campaign, which is coming up soon. And yeah, if, you're, if you've got uh, a project that you're working 
clients. It's about an artist fan service or business artist service or whatever. Also get in touch about that because we want to build up the, uh, the after directory and see where that's going. So there's there's lots to do, lots to get involved with, lots to check out. So awesome. Visit us at resonate.is. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that I will link to this show um, later this year when you've got the crowdfunding campaign on and so on. And uh, uh, we definitely will continue supporting the project so you can count on us and we'll be linking to it and, and everything related around the launch and so on. I'm really excited about this, really like what you do. So keep it up and uh, staying in touch. And to anyone listening to us, if you got uh, interested, once again, you've got the uh, URL, you've got the links in the show notes. Just go there, read about the stuff, see how you can be involved, sign up. It's all like free, obviously, at this point. It's just about like uh, seeing how to sign up and support. I mean, if you want to be part of the crowdfunding campaign, it's different. But I mean, it's, I encourage everyone to check it out. So yeah, Peter, thank you so much. Any other closing thoughts? No, I think I covered it. Yep, so thank you once again. Thanks everyone who's listened to this show. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it and uh, found uh, the the concept of Resonate as exciting, as interesting as uh, I did. And uh, if you have any feedback, feel free to connect with Peter. Uh, sign up at uh, resonate.ease uh, for... Uh, for the you know additional news and details and updates and uh, to see how you can support uh, the platform by joining the crowdfunding team. We'll keep an eye on uh, Resonate and uh, cover it further on uh, on the Data Music uh, blog and newsletter. So um, yeah, and as usual, if you have anything to share, please do so on SoundCloud on iTunes. That would be particularly appreciated. Uh, all reviews and uh, ratings that you leave there help the podcast being discovered uh, on iTunes, which is extremely important to us. So if you want to learn how exactly to support uh, the show by leaving a review, which takes like a couple minutes only, and also how to get a cool uh, postcard from us, go to getacard.wispin.co. Thanks a lot and see you next time. You have been listening to the We Spin Recipes podcast. Learn how we can help you improve your music career at wespin12.com. We Spin 12.